Nilay Patel, welcome to the talk show. It's been I, I should have had you on before. I don't I don't even understand how, how you haven't been on before. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, man. I should have had you. We, I should have had you on the Vergecast. This is this is just long overdue. I'm going to be on the show, and then you are you're like all over the Vox family. You were on Peter Kafka's show. You told yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, and then in a couple weeks we'll have you on the Vergecast, and then in a couple weeks we'll have you. You can just host, host Control Alt Delete with Walt. That would actually be a great. show. <laughs> that would actually be pretty fun. Um, do you see the the show I'm on with Kafka is out? Oh, I haven't seen it. And or heard it. Yet. There's a. Fo- I did was not aware that there would be photographs. <laughs> It is, yeah, man. My wife screams downstairs like a half an hour ago. What is this photo of you? It is a very unflattering photo of me. I look somehow. I, I have a. <laughs> I, I'm not self conscious. I don't care. She's like, oh my god, if if I, there was a terrible photo of me on the internet, I would kill myself. And I was like, well, so what? Uh, yeah. I was not aware though that there would be photos, and uh, I was uh, re- the Kafka's show we recorded together at a, a little. He's got like a cool little studio in like a comedy club in New York. Um. But it was like 98% humidity in New York. <laughs> and I had just taken the subway up. Uh, so I didn't even have my shirt buttoned. <laughs> it's like I came out of like a sweat box. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean. It was a good show, though. <laughs> it you know, was a really the, good show. The recode style is to is to put people in uncomfortable situations and then get the truth out of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, his studio wasn't uncomfortable. It's just that I was not aware that I did not prepare myself for a photo session but anyway there are no photos on the talk show. did you get the, did you get the red recode chair or is that only on Kara's show only on Kara's show this was ah, a, a very utilitarian little studio <laughs> uh it's actually you know our vox media acquired recode last year it's been so much fun having that team around the verge like we don't do a lot together but our sites and our staffs have always been very simpatico and it has been they're incredible it's just super fun to watch them work well, we can we might as well roll right into it then, because I was yeah. going to talk about the meta stuff about the business. In my opinion, and I'm not just saying this because you're the guest on my show, I honestly think both Recode and The Verge have gotten better in the last year, and it's very noticeable to me. And and with The Verge, it's a little more subtle, but with Recode, to me, it's like it, it, very noticeable that like Recode can now focus on what Recode does best and let other stuff you know, let you guys let the verge do other things. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I always think Recode has been great. Um, it has been really fun for us to get Walt and Lauren on our team as product reviewers and bring all of that experience. I can't, I, I can't speak highly enough about working with Walt. It is maybe the best thing that has happened to me in my career to have him <laughs> around is, I mean, he's incredible. I, uh, it's, I think, and this is true of me. I've known Walt for a long time. Um, I, we should say, John and I have known each other and like talked for quite a while. I think people think of us as like pissy rivals, but we're not. Like no. We just have different perspectives, and it's fun to fight on Twitter, so we do that. Um, yeah. But Walt, I think most people know Walt is the guy who writes the column. And very few people know Walt is the actually incredible talent and personality that he is. And it's a huge personality. Uh, and he's got a lot of ideas about how to do it. I mean, he... He started his column. He was the first one ever to start a personal technology column. Um, he and Kara started that conference business when no one else yep. was doing that. Now everybody does it. Uh, and they started All Things D as a startup within the journal, and then they went and started Recode. Like, that's a long history of doing entrepreneurial things in the media, and it's I'm trying to do that, and it's difficult. And having him he started that column. The fa- it's, it's not just that he started the column. It's that he started it in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. And and with that particular audience. And I there just had to be so much like you gotta be kidding me. Where you know, why in the world would we run this personal technology column in the Wall Street Journal? 
Yeah. And it ended up being, you know, that's a huge hit. I mean, it's, it defined the forum. I think, I think all of us, um, you, me, everybody, we're all just riffing on what Walt started back. I mean, literally the first line that he ever wrote in that column was like, technology is too hard to use. Yeah. It's true. It's It's like, we've just been building on that ever since in one way or another. Right. It's hard. We've got to understand it and explain it. And, you know, writing from the, customers the real person's perspective not the enthusiast's perspective right and the, i think the, and that is was a big focus and you know you're talking about recode and the verge coming together and sort of growing it's there's like three perspectives in there that i think are really interesting one you know i think the big difference between the verge and recode and it's a really big difference and we talk about it a lot is recode is is interested in the effects on culture and entertainment, all that stuff, but they are really about technology in business, right? They, they are deep into executive movements. They're deep into Yahoo board struggles. They're mm-hmm. deep into, I think Peter Kafka is the best media reporter in the industry. I'm not even uh, sure who to compare him to. I, I, I would, I, he would, I wouldn't let me get too effusive on his show, but <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, yeah, I, he's incredible. I, I, um, I don't know who uh, to even say, would, you know, who to even argue if I was going to take a devil, devil's advocate standpoint as who else may be the best media reporter. I don't even know who else I would throw up there. Really. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a, it's a one man show. And obviously Kara is exemplary and they have a staff of, I think Mark Bergen, for example, is one of the best Google reporters in the industry and like on yeah. and on it goes. Um, so it's interesting, you know, Recode came on and the, the Verge, we kind of realized, I kind of realized, well, we don't, there's no point in trying to compete with the, some of the best business coverage in the industry. Like, we're kind of not going to do that. We're going to be what we are, which is a really big mainstream culture brand. Um, and our the way that we see the culture is through technology. We are deep nerds. Like, I'm a huge nerd. Uh, actually, I've never told you this story, John, but I'll tell you now. Um, and it's I, I think it's a good setup for maybe the conversation we'll have later about Apple. I got my entire start as a nerd and as somebody who cares about technology by basically showing up every day at the local Apple reseller in Racine, Wisconsin, when I was in middle school until they gave me a job. Uh, and my job was to like reformat people's computers with floppies in the basement. Um, and like, you know, like this thing about ports that, you know, we, you and I have been arguing about, I just knew when the ports came and went because I like have basically fixed every model of Macintosh for years. Um, and like, I think that's us. Like we're, the Verge is really nerdy, um, but cares really deeply about the culture. And I want the Verge to be a big brand, like a really big, everybody should be able to read it and understand it and connect to it in some way. And I think Recode is really focused on the business of how this all works. And I, you know, I, I went to the code conference and I was sitting with Walt act- afterwards and I was like, what is amazing to me is the amount of power here and how interested Recode is in interrogating the power. I think that's fascinating. I love reading Recode. I love. I think they have great reporters who do yeah. great work there. I'm less sort of interested in the mechanics of power. I'm more interested in when you buy the stuff, how does it affect you? Um, when we make things, and these tools have radically expanded the ability of people to make things and the number of people who make things, how does that affect how we make it? How does it affect creativity? How does it affect how we distribute it? How do we talk? Um, I think that stuff is – that's the Verge stuff. And so there is – you know, I think focus makes things better. And I, I wouldn't say it's been a really, it's not like explicit, like I commanded that we're going to go this way. That never happened. But I think the two teams like each other and work well together and we've allowed each other to grow and focus. Yeah. It's, and it definitely, in my opinion, as an outsider, it definitely shows. And I, 
if anything. And it's one way that I can sort of measure it. Because on a daily basis, I just link to what I think is worth the attention or, or that I have something to comment on. If, you know, mm-hmm. it's either, either something that I think, wow, this is big enough that everybody who comes to my site, I want them to see it. Or maybe that's not quite it. Maybe it's a little bit more. I just want to throw in my two cents on this. Um, right. And that's really the only things I think about on a daily basis. But in the aggregate, I can look back and and just search and see who I link to. And my links to The Verge and Recode are both up over the last year. Oh, that's really interesting. Those are like great stats. Like, you know, it's like that's way better than Comscore or whatever garbage. I'm like, throw that out and start paying you for your link stats. That'd yeah. be great. Uh, and it's interesting to me, you know, that the, our racket is in such flux and it's probably. I don't know that it's ever going to settle down again. I think that that's sort of the way of the with media being on the internet instead of um, being in print. I I just think it's inherent that there'll be more people will move around to jobs more often and publications will, you know, merge and and change and fold more frequently than they did in the old days. Um, But it's interesting to me too, that, an awful lot of the people who I like best have coalesced onto the Recode and Verge staff. Like the, the big, the best example I can think of is is my pal Dan, Dan Fromer, who's been on this show many times. Now yeah. is editor at at Recode. It's just yeah. interesting to me that of all the different places that, that that somebody like Dan could wind up, it's you know no surprise to me that he's he's at Recode now. Yeah, you know, I think the the company is called Vox for a reason, right? Uh, the, it. it I like working here. Um, obviously, I've worked here for a long, a, lo- a long. I'm making air quotes. A long time is five years. Um, yeah, Forever. Worked, it's literally the whole history of the company. It wasn't called Vox before right. the Verge showed up, uh, but it's you know it's called Vox for a reason. And I think from the top down, there's just an enormous emphasis placed on the value of creativity and the value of journalism. And it's not. It's it's to me. It, I think the three big companies that are worth watching in this space. It's like three point five, right? There's BuzzFeed, obviously, they're, they're a monster. I think Vice is super interesting and in, yep. in terms of tone and what they capture about the zeitgeist. Uh, and us, I hope. And then I think you know the New York Times and Washington Post. They're kind of the point five because they're these traditional companies that are doing a really good job of turning into something else. Yeah. Um, but the three new, new media companies, I. I I, I, I can tell you confidently that it's BuzzFeed and Vice, and then I hope Vox is always in that conversation. And they just represent, I think, three different tacks at it. Um, and I think the one that you're noticing about us is we let people run really fast, but we kind of demand that everybody not be beholden to what worked yesterday. Yep. Um, and I, so if you're a creative person, I think that's a good pitch. I completely agree. Um, so keep it up. Um. <laughs> We're working on it. I got to say, it, you know, it's funny because you mentioned this time of flux. Daring Fireball, the <laughs> last site that I go to every day on the desktop. I can't think of another website that I type into a desktop browser every day as a matter of course. Not even like The Verge, I do it because I work here. But, uh, you know, our other, I, I generally consume The Verge about as much in my feeds as I do like by typing the website in during fireball for better or worse, like rarely shows up in my feeds, but I religiously have it on the desktop. So you've got it. You're good. I mean, are your stats showing that people are coming at you from social the way everybody else's is? Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, the vast majority of my hits go right to the homepage still. And so I actually worry about that because I worry that having a, I mean, you can tell by looking at the site. I mean, the design of the site is about, you know, it, 
the whole point of the simple simplicity and the top-down chronological order of Daring Fireball is my assumption is, sure, there are some, uh, some people who are going to check it multiple times a day. God bless you. I love you. You're, you know, the best readers I have. But there's other people who, you know, like what I have to say, but either aren't that obsessive about checking the web or they're more disciplined and don't dick around on the web, or maybe they're just really freaking busy and they don't have time. And I love the idea that if somebody's really, really busy, but it's like the end of the day and they're getting ready to go home and be with their family or whatever. And they think, well, let me just go check Daring Fireball and see if there's anything I should know about. That's sort of what I hope to be for people. And, mm-hmm. But I worry, though, that, that that model, because that basic idea of, hey, go to this site's homepage is sort of going away, that it's problematic for me. I don't know. It, it, I don't know. It, the Verge has the biggest desktop homepage at, inside of Voxmedia by, by a huge factor. Uh, and it, it hasn't, as far as near as I can tell, you know, our traffic has massively increased over the years and our like video views are sky they're up literally twenty five hundred percent month to month this past it's like bonkers, stupid Facebook inflated numbers. But uh, below all of that is like this holding steady desktop audience. And I do think it's I think you and I are in a unique position against sort of the rest of the mass media. Uh, we have a lot of nerds at work. Nerds yep. at work have a 24 inch monitor sitting next to their other 24 inch monitor and they just leave our sites open. <laughs> so like, so be it, you know, I think there's that audience is not going away. Yeah. The other thing is that I, I do nothing on Facebook or literally I have no, you know, I don't, I don't use it personally and I don't have any daring fireball set up on Facebook. I've thought about that for a long time. Um, and it's been, I've, you know, been like thinking maybe i should maybe i shouldn't yesterday's news made me think well <laughs> kind of glad that i didn't um but so and i and i get nothing from facebook i mean like i'm looking at my referrers right now and like i, I it's not even in the top 20 so there's not one thing from facebook I, but maybe they don't send a refer code i don't know maybe you I, should start making like like daring fireball food videos and that should be your facebook strategy. like uh, you just making really nice bourbon cocktails like i would watch that that'd be great uh it would get old quick though because i don't know how to make like i don't know i don't even know how to make three cocktails so it would be, it would be like a very buzzfeed only knows how to make like four kinds of cookie man they're, they're just going back to it every time um uh, yeah but so t- like we Tico's run a facebook a big, brand t- right? the the twitter links that come in from tico that's a that's pretty big but it's nowhere near as big as the homepage. Homepage yeah. is, let me see here, it's about 20 times more popular than my most popular individual story yesterday. Yeah. I mean, and a good metric for us that we use and don't use is our homepage, when we look at our real-time stats, generally it's is the most popular page on the site. If a story beats the homepage, we're like, that story's doing great. You know, yeah. like, so... I, I don't think it's going away. I, I just don't think desktop computers at work are going away. Um, I have this crazy sort of three drinks in. I start babbling about this theory theory where the nature of productivity at work has totally changed because of the internet, where you know the typical news consumer 25 years ago would read the news in the morning, go to work, presumably do work at work, come home, watch the evening news, like go to bed and start over. And now it's like you wake up in the morning, you read news, you go to work, you read even more news. Everyone's traffic goes up and you go home and you consume like Netflix. And like, when do people do work? Uh, has become like an open question to me. 
uh, because everyone's just reading news like all day long on the internet. I don't think that audience, I think it might get mediated through different platforms. I think obviously the bigger audience is on mobile, but fundamentally, I, I think people are going to look at big screens at work a lot. And often what they're going to look at on those big screens is news. So my level of panic about a Facebook algorithm change is like basically zero because the verge is big enough and honestly has like a large enough referral base. Like Google search is still a massive referral base into the verge. Like yeah, I'm, not, I'm not worried about a, a little algo change here and there, as long as we just in the aggregate keep growing. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it, it's, I think the the best thing and the, the best long-term strategy, it's just common sense is to build a brand where people, you know, remember the source, whether it's a byline, yeah which is a little bit more like me as a one man show or just, Oh, I know the verge. I definitely want to read the verges take on the new, this new iPad. Um, it's the, not just that, Oh, I want to read an iPad review. It's, Oh, I want definitely want to see the verges version. If you don't have that, that's where you're, you're just, you're, I think you're screwed eventually. Cause something's going to change. If you're just chasing, um, social traffic for the sake of social traffic without any real brand, you know, if people right. don't know what site they're on, then you're you're screwed. So we actually made, you know, we've always had this big video program, but we made a huge investment in photography. Um, and I'm going to say design, even though I think we've always had a big investment in design. But photography and story design um, have become a bigger investment for us this year because we realized what are the places inside of a story that's traveling and getting disaggregated everywhere that you can touch. And it's like, yep, bylines, style, obviously content. Our video, you know, we've got to level it up. We've been pretty good at it, but we want to make it better. But then photos travel best of all, actually. You can look at it and be like, oh, that's a Verge photo. Uh, so we made a big investment there this year, and it's been it's been going pretty well. I mean, I'm, I'm fairly pleased with sort of the, the notch up we've taken. Um, and it's funny because it's all the stuff is like a huge computer nerd that I love. It's like now we've got really expensive cameras and Wacom tablets and huge monitors with hoods. And I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I thought working in the media would be like. Uh, and it's, it's just a good time. Um, let me take a break and thank the first sponsor of the show. Great sponsor. This is the second time they've sponsored. I love this company. It's Eero, E-E-R-O. Now, despite its importance, I would just dare say ubiquitousness. Wi-Fi is broken. Imagine if the electricity in your house didn't reach certain parts, like if there was a corner of your bedroom where you just couldn't get electricity uh, or it was just spotty in others. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. It would be ridiculous. Nobody would put up with that. But that's the status quo for Wi-Fi with dead zones and buffering and rooms that get a good signal and rooms that don't right in your same house. Eero was designed to change all of this. The company manufactures a single device it's a small, elegant box about the size of an Apple TV. It sort of looks like an Apple product, you know, round Rex or a little, uh, if you want to call it a squircle. Um, <laughs> uh, super simple app. You put the app on your phone and you just set it up through there. And so you don't have to go through one of those janky web interfaces where, where you're typing in a thing. Now you just get on the app and you set it up and you put a couple of these Eros throughout your home. There's you, One of them has to be the one that is like the, 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 the like main one where you plug your cable in. Um, but it's the same device. So it doesn't have, you don't have to keep track of which one's the special first one. You just put like, I think the main one, uh, you did all sorts of packs depends on the size of your house. You go to their website, uh, at uh, ero.com and they will uh, uh, tell you how many to buy. But I think the default is a three pack. 
you get three or four of these things. You put a couple of them throughout your house and they just do all the magic behind the scenes to just give a strong signal. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to act like a network uh, admin. So super easy. Um, just go to eRow.com. It's Wi-Fi that works. And use the code uh, talk show, and you will get free overnight shipping. I've got this set up in my house. Could not be easier. Uh, and my Wi-Fi is better than ever, and I get a better signal uh, in my bedroom, which never used to get a good signal. And I get a signal, and now I do get a signal in my garage, which I never did before, um, which was always a huge pain in the ass when you'd get in a car and try to... Uh, uh, sync something or get something. The phone, my phone would always think that it was connected to the Wi-Fi, but it couldn't really get a signal. Huge pain in the ass. No more. Thanks to Eero. Go to Eero.com and remember that code talk show and you'll get free overnight shipping. First heard of Eero from Walt Mossberg's review. Yeah. I think I'm reading an Eero ad on the Vergecast later today. It's a really Eero moment. I love um, this company. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get it all set up in my parents' house. Their house is too big for like normal. It's like a big Wisconsin rambly house. Uh, I, I got it. I'm, I'm going there in August. I'm going to, I'm going to set it up and get it right. My parents had this thing happen to them where, uh, AT&T called them and was like, Hey, you've got Uverse and your son pays for your phones on an AT&T account. Why don't you combine them? We'll give you a free smart home. My dad was like, yeah, it sounds great. And now it's just like garbage smart home stuff. Just like, I'm so terrified that like it's going to get hacked Anytime my parents have to use more software, I get like very afraid. Um, <laughs> I have a good it's, story. About it's it. the worst. I got to interrupt uh, you. I just figured out. I actually t- I took a guess and it was the wrong guess. Yeah. The code is not not actually talk show. The, co- the code is actually the talk show. <laughs> there with, you go. With the, the talk show, which is even better. I hate to say it. I'm a, I don't want to say bad things about sponsors who just use the code talk show. But I paid for the the and I like it when they <laughs> use it. And in fact, the code for Eero is the talk show. Yeah. Uh, and that's the code you need for free overnight shipping. Hopefully, I, I don't even want to edit this. Don't edit it, Caleb. Just uh, let this roll. <laughs> this will make it stick in people's heads. People will remember it when they go to Eero. It's the talk show because I had to I had to correct it. Uh, My big theory about podcast ad reads is people read them be- or people listen to them because I blow them so repeatedly. Uh, and once once this whole industry gets professionalized, yes. it's all over. Yeah, we're totally sunk. It's right now. I do think that people say that. I often say like, and I, I, I'll talk to people about the show. I'm like, what about the ads? You skip the ads? Because I, I, I've often said that I, here's my goal with the ad reads. My goal with the ad reads is to do whatever I can to make you not want to skip, yeah. even if it's a sponsor you've heard before. And I, I think you're right that half of the fun is to see how I screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I blow them routinely, and you know the the bigger advertisers they're starting to poke around the edges of the industry. And like as the car companies and banks and whoever the hell shows up, and they're like, uh, "We need you to be more professional." Like people are just going to start skipping the ads. It's good. This is why you don't want metrics and podcasts. You don't want to know. I totally agree. <laughs> I was just talking to Peter Kafka about that. I don't think you want metrics. I know that people think they want them, but I don't think they you really want them. Uh, I, I, I'm sure Peter had smarter stuff than me to say about it, but my my read on it is that if their big money is ever going to enter, enter podcasts, the push for metrics is gonna it's gonna happen because everything I know about our advertising, and I know very little about our advertising, but suggests that the big money is very interested in making sure it gets a return on its investment. Yeah, but I feel like. Um, I honestly believe that the 
the fact that you can measure more accurately, and they do on most web ads, is actually detrimental to everybody. People think that they want the stats, and they think that they do, but all it leads is to... Um, it, it's like a be careful what you measure type of situation because then you start optimizing to what you're measuring, which isn't really uh, the thing you want to. Like the most important thing that we do is, or the most important resource, the only two resources that are truly scarce in in our in this racket is attention and money, dollars, right. and. Everybody's, of course, everybody keeps track of the dollars. Nobody gets fooled and doesn't keep track of dollars on any end. You know, the advertisers know what they're spending. They know what they should be spending. And and the people like us who run, you know, podcasts and websites know how much we're making. Um, but I feel like attention, measuring attention is not, you can't do it through JavaScript and, and hits and web server logs. It's not that that's not actually accurate. And yeah. I, well, th- th- there's like, it depends on what you slice. I think, um, again, I'm sure we're just recapitulating a conversation we had with somebody who's much smarter about this than me. Am. But um, there's, I mean, you can, I don't think boxes and banners are the future of advertising. And I don't think you can measure it like, I bought this many ads and I'm expecting this many more sales. That will kill you. I think, I think people now know what the hell Eero is because they've heard you say it. Yep. That's really measurable in like a pretty specific way um but you got to know like if you buy an ad on a podcast no one listens to a podcast like you kind of you didn't even get that out of it i do agree though that it's you know so Eero will know how well this does because people will use that code the talk show and they will figure out wow look at or hopefully wow look at how many people bought the kit from that code because they can track it right to the code so that they do get that right and i guess the the problem is like with the big money is that when coke gets into podcast ads they're not going to have a code where you, <laughs> you know like when you go to the counter at your local bodega and get it buy a coke give them the code the talk shows <laughs> so they know that's why you're buying the coke it doesn't work for them right and on the other hand people you know People want Coke to get into podcast advertising because Coca-Cola company spends an awful lot of money on ads, <laughs> and it would be nice if some of it went to podcasts. So I do understand that that there's a dilemma there where the sponsors who are into podcasting right now are these direct sale companies that the codes work great. They really do. I mean, they, they know exactly how well they're doing. Um, yeah, but they, but yeah. It I, doesn't I, work for bigger brands, though. Right, and you know, the for a bigger media company, let's ever make a podcast is maybe a worse use of time than write X more articles. Right. And it's hard. It's hard for me because I don't, I can't make decisions about my budget because I don't know anything about the revenue. So it's, it's tough. It's, I think it's a really interesting though. It's, I think there's like five or six inflection points happening in technology right now that basically make it seem like the industry is chaos which means it's the best time to write about technology. It's the <laughs> most fun because almost anything could happen in any direction. And you, there's just no way to know except to write about it and figure it out and try to report on it and talk to smart people. Um, but it is absolutely chaos. Yeah. What, well, what do you think some of those inflection points are? Um, so I think the sort of the settling of the phone industry has led to yep. a ton of chaos. Um, I think there's a lot of money floating around in the world, a lot of energy, a lot of people who want to make stuff 
around technology. Well, the other thing, I think before you move beyond the phone thing, I think that it you have to, I mean, we knew this, we could see where it was going and you could see the, 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 the graphs, but now that we're there, it's amazing. It's, which is that everybody on the planet, anywhere who has even vaguely enough money to possibly own a, a smartphone has one. Yeah, and the number and and there's an economic angle. I don't know if this is one of your inflections, but I don't want to steal it. But the fact that the the graph of how many people live in abject poverty anywhere in the world is it, it's very likely that we might get to zero in the next you know ten or fifteen years, which is amazing. And that means everybody's got one of these things. And, yeah, and the implication that was like everybody knew that was going to be amazing, but it's like it, you just couldn't foresee all of the implications of it. Right. And I think, so yeah, that's, that's like, it's like one B, right. It's like we, the smartphone thing happened. We've, we landed on the two platforms. And what I was saying about a lot of people with money and energy, they've realized that they can't compete or invest in platforms. They're not, they're mm-hmm. not going to win. You can't windows phone is, it's just not going to fucking happen. Right. Right. Uh, Blackberry, RIP, right? Yep. So that money has to go somewhere else. Those companies, their investment, if the companies die, the people who work there, they have to go somewhere else. And so all of that energy is going in a thousand different directions. So that just chaos. Fun chaos, but chaos nevertheless. Then I think there's the next layer, which is, okay, everybody has these things. What are we going to do with them? I think the first wave of that was the App Store, and you saw just a ton of energy and effort and interest in that. I think you know Apple just made a bunch of moves around subscriptions. I think that's in response to kind of the great settling of the App Store, right? We put a bunch of money, ping-ponged all around. It leveled off. We now know that the average number of apps people download in a month is zero. Um, it's, it, you know, search is hard. Discovery is hard. Getting people to pay more than a dollar is hard. You know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, a handful of games. Those are your apps. Yep. Right. That's cool. And that's fine. So there's that chaos is still a little there. And I think there's a lot of interest around subscriptions. But I, th- now it's like moving to the next thing. We, I we there was so much discussion with everybody in my circle at WWDC this year about the app store, just because there was the news that came out the week before. And, yeah. you know, it was like, how does this settle? But the one thing that every, every discussion eventually settled upon every single time all week long was eventually sort of a, a deep sigh. And <laughs> can you believe, would you have ever believed uh, it, like in 2008, 2009, 2010, the gold rush years of the app store. Would you ever have believed that when the dust settled, the the top earning charts would every single one of them was some kind of scammy game where they're trying to get people to buy pots of gold? <laughs> every single one is yeah. just an in-app. It's some kind of game that's like designed like a slot machine to keep you pumping money into it. And well, it's, it's funny. Like, I have all these books. For, you know, I get some of these hilarious free pop business books and I, I have like three or four of them like gamify your business gamify your app the gamification is the future and it's like well yeah of course the fucking games won <laughs> like we tried to gamify facebook to make it stickier but actually the game is just yeah. a game uh it's i don't think that's surprising I, yeah. I i think that business model emerged as you know there's constraint on the app store and how do you perfectly optimize to a constraint well, you just say, yeah, whatever, Apple, you can have 30%, but we're just going to invent a machine that pulls money out of you. Yep. 
Um, and it, we, we're not necessarily even going to deliver value behind like the dopamine rush of 20 more minutes of this game. Well, I think, and I think that those companies in particular, uh, I mean, I'm sure they would, if Apple just said, uh, next year across the board, we're just changing it from 70, 30 to 85, 15 for everything. I'm sure they wouldn't refuse the extra money, but I feel like the in-app purchase companies, the, you know, the, the game companies, uh, they're the they're just fine with the seventy thirty split because yeah. Apple's you know literally made this machine that lets them just pull money out of people's pockets. I, I don't even think I, I doubt they even think about the thirty percent. No, right? I don't it's, think so. They they they're selling a product at zero cost. It costs them nothing to make and nothing to distribute, and right. it's just a machine. Anyway, so look, I think that's one. That's like there was the big leveling of the platform war. There's the big leveling of the app market. That you know, it's like settled, and then you just look around and it's like. What is VR going to happen? Is AR a thing? Is uh, how on earth are we going to distribute the media at all? Right? Like, if we're, we can't, if people are moving to apps, not browsers, what are the apps they're going to use? Oh, we can't get an app in the store because that's really hard and no publisher app outside of maybe a handful of New York Times apps has ever really taken off. Um, and even then, they haven't. No, there's, not a, there's not a great feed reader on the phone. Okay, we got to deal with Twitter and Facebook. Okay, all they want is video. Oh my God, YouTube is the the second biggest search engine in the world, and no one ever thinks about it. Those are all, those are all agents of chaos, right? They're they're forces that create just a lot of innovation uh, because people are trying to figure out like, can I win this game? Can I win all the games? I think that's fascinating. I think that's fundamentally a technology story, right? It's it's people understanding the constraints of platforms, whether the platform is iOS or it's the App Store or it's you know, whatever happens inside of Facebook's algorithm or whatever happens inside of Google search. Uh, that There's a remarkable amount of innovation and investment there, but there's no answers at all. Like, it is a complete moment of change. And I think that's just really interesting. Like, I think it is often confusing for the people who are investing, and that confusion tends to leak out into the public consciousness. But I don't think it's all that confusing for the people who have phones and are constantly being served kind of like everyone's best effort to figure out what the future is. Um, it's got to be on your list. I mean, but the, in, talking about inflection points is transportation. Oh, yeah, of course. And so many different ways. It's just astounding. It's the, 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 the ride services like Uber and Lyft, um, which themselves are completely piggybacked on the ubiquity of smartphones, right? There is no Uber without... Uh, iPhones and Androids that are always on the internet and can tap a button, <laughs> right? It doesn't. Ex- it, there's no way that that happens before 2008. It 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 wouldn't work. How would how well, would you, how well, would you it did get happen. it? You called a central dispatcher. It's funny, you know. You it's it, like there were car services before. They just weren't. They didn't. They it, didn't provide you with a lot of information, right? And you didn't use them as frequently, uh, right. nor at least normal people didn't use them as frequently. Because it was uh, the most decadent thing in the world to like right. fun. What's funny is like Uber has an Alexa skill, and I I call an Uber I don't know a couple times a week by just like yelling at the Echo, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, what am I? I'm like back to square one in Brooklyn. I'm, like, I'm just calling the car service. It's just now it's a robot. Um, it's literally the same interaction, right? I call I talk to something. One of the funniest times that you and I ever got together was we we uh, we hung out after we got our Apple watch review units. Yeah. Uh, there were briefings in New York and you, it's like we, we kind of bumped into each other. 
I forget if I went first or you went first. I think I went, I was ahead of you. And I just said, Hey, I'm going to go across the street and get a cup of coffee. If you want to meet, we'll meet. And it was like, <laughs> like we tried to use the watch to hail maneuver. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> we just watched the spinner. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, it was like now showing up four blocks away. <laughs> <laughs> like it spun for a minute and like, canceled out three times and then got the location wrong by like four blocks. I mean, that first day with the watch was among the most, I don't know if you felt this. I felt this because John and I actually talked, like we texted quite a bit because we were the only people we knew with the watch. It was yeah. like you and Joanna Stern. Yep. Uh, and so like we were all, all of us were best friends, like super best friends for a couple of weeks there. Sending heartbeats um, to each other. Yeah. Uh, it was like, uh, I kept on getting heartbeats from like Apple PR people. And I was like, I know your heart's racing. Just right. like, give me a minute. Um, but I just remember that moment. I don't know if this was true for you. That was to me, one of those inflection point moments in a kind of a different way where it was, here's Apple. They have been under all this pressure to put out their next category of products. Here's this product. And I was terrified that I would get it wrong and be the guy who called the iPad nonsense or be slash dot and call the iPod, you know, what was it like? No wireless lame. Um, and I just remember that whole period. I was like, I think this thing is kind of slow and a little bit messy. And it's just really interesting now with watchOS three. I don't know if you've used it a bunch. I've been, I've been playing with it here and there. Like it's, they just, they just fixed all the slop. Yep. Right. And it's like, they made it fast. Like that's the thing they should have done from the beginning. Yeah. I talked, I talked about it on my show last week with Marco Arment, but I really, I think it's worth repeating. I really think that, they they released it too early yeah as a product and i see why and i think it's exactly what you just said is that the the pressure from the outside to give us you know show us that you can still do something new without steve jobs there was so overwhelming that i think it caused them to make like a, a unforced error yeah and who knows maybe it was the right thing to do it's sort of on apple like to release something early you know to to you know release early and often is the the sort of open source mantra and apple is sort of the uh nope we're going to make you wait we're going to make you wait and we're going to release later than everybody else but it's going to be the best sort of company and that's and i think with the watch they went release early uh and maybe it was the right way to go because maybe, you know, there's a, I see an awful lot of Apple watches these days. Uh, I, I was at, uh, like I told you, I was in New York last week. I saw him all over the place on the streets in New York. It's, it's a really popular device. So maybe they were right to release it when they did. But boy, I'll tell you, the, the watch OS 3 is, it's like, oh, this is it. And yeah. I, I feel like I got it wrong. I feel like this probably my biggest regret in recent years is that my re- er, initial reviews plural because I, I weren't uh, I, I I think I was a little too I, I was confused I was confused by the watch which I think uh, when I reread my Apple my early Apple Watch reviews from last year I think that the confusion shows it wasn't that I praised it too much I don't feel like I I missed the fact that like apps are too slow and stuff like that but I just. I was confused, and so therefore my review was confused. Yeah, I mean, the only, you know, we we did this huge thing, and like, I I wrote about this a few months ago. I don't know, time is a time is blurry for me, but I was like, it's slow, yes. right? I mean, like that's all you have to say. Yes, and it, it I, like it it nails it, right? Like, right. and I, they've tried to make it faster. Presumably, there's going to be hardware and it'll get faster. And I think that 
what I noticed at WWDC this year was that there is an intentionality to Apple that I think I've been missing recently, right? Everything they did at WWDC felt like, okay, we like shotgunned out a million ideas. It was very un-Apple-like. There was a lot of confusion out there. But now we're like, we're focusing. Like, here's what we're doing with the Mac. Here's what we're doing with the TV. Here's what we're doing with the watch. Here's, like, just down the line, here's a bunch of very intentional decisions about our products. I think that's going to bode well for them. But I do think the other, my, my, I think you're absolutely right about transportation, by the way, um, is a huge inflection point. The other one I was going to mention um, was sort of the, the unbundling of software as an idea from the consumer consciousness. That instead of getting an app or getting a package of software or you know, 50 floppy disks from Microsoft Word or whatever we used to do, now software is just constantly around you and updating in all kinds of ways. Hmm. That is a huge inflection point. The idea that you can't sell something to someone that you're going to sell this like ongoing experience or people just make expectations that things will silently get better around them, that's going to lead to a lot of chaos as well. Because you can that gives you license to put out bad products and say it's the first version and it'll get better. I think we see that constantly. Um, and it creates this enormous consumer perception that you're going to get better stuff for free all the time. And I think those are how, how the world shakes out in there is going to be very complicated for people who are trying to make money. I think on balance, it's good for the consumer, but you know, it's like, it's ridiculous to me that uh, you have a TiVo. I think I have a TiVo. It's ridiculous to me that my TiVo doesn't get a software update like every day. Right. Because it's constantly connected to the internet. That's just sort of my expect. My Xbox is updating every 90 seconds. Um, I, I think that's just that's a big moment for Apple to figure out how to be a part of that instead of saying, okay, the platform changed. Okay, the platform changed. Um, we were at the code conference. We're talking to some people from Google and they're like, you know, we schedule Google I.O. and it always feels like chaos because it doesn't align with any of our product cycles and we don't really care. We just let people show up. It's like show and tell. Like, what's this team working on? They're like, we're about this far. It'll be out next year. Like, that's how Google thinks about their software. Uh, I think Apple has sort of gotten to that too. I I feel like one of the things as 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 this year's WWDC sort of cements and and in my mind is that to me they they have these four platforms and they know exactly what they are and there's yeah. no you know there and the watch in particular the you know in addition to the fact that they really have fixed the wow everything is slow like stuff is not slow anymore. Um, they they they've got they themselves have a much better idea of what the hell people wear Apple watches for. Like yeah. and the increased focus on fitness is a huge part of that. I mean that wasn't really even mentioned in the original, you know, pitch. I mean it was there, it was sort of a little bit more but it was a little bit more like health than fitness. And now it's like the default watch face shows you the circles as the <laughs> right. the fill in. That but they realize that's what people are doing. So they they're much more the watch does less. It's there's far less going on on the watch and it's way, way more, way easier to understand. And they know what people are doing with it. And I feel like with the Mac too, I feel like, um, I feel like the whole making the Mac a little bit more like iOS, like they're done with that. Like they've, they've done the nips and tucks where they thought, Hey, some of these ideas from iOS would make sense on the Mac. But at this point it's like, now let's just let the Mac be the Mac. What's up with the Mac? Do you think? Right, I mean, like so many Mac lines are just kind of they're long in the tooth in various ways. Um, I 
you know, like I'm desperately waiting for a new MacBook Pro. Like just desperately waiting. Our video editors, um, you know, they call them trash cans, the Mac the Mac Pros. They're like, this thing is ridiculous. Like they're bought they're our video editors, some of them have started using the VR gaming PCs because they're way faster than Mac Pro. Um, and obviously because they're newer. But like where where's that next great Mac hardware cycle do you think? Hold that thought. Okay. Let's let me do a sponsor read, and sure. I love because I love to have a, a teaser like that, and then <laughs> we'll and we'll talk about it. I'm going to thank our good friends. This is a longtime sponsor of the show. Perfect example of a great podcast advertiser, Harry's. Everyone knows good things come in threes. Well, guess what? Uh, this is the three year anniversary of Harry's. Uh, I think they've been sponsoring podcasts ever since they started. They've got a special deal. You can try three of their expertly crafted five blade German razor blade cartridges. In other words, each one has five blades. You get three of them, uh, and you get a nice, classy handle and shaving cream, and you get the whole kit for ten bucks. It's the only shaving company that could offer you something like that. Amazing quality, low prices, modern convenience. Uh, they own their own factory. I always mention this because to me, this is just amazing. Is that they started sourcing blades from Germany, and they liked them so much that there's some like hundred year old blade factory in Germany. <laughs> And they just bought the factory. So that's what they do. And this is how they work. This is the amazing thing, is they make their own blades. They package them up in the nicest packaging I've ever seen. I've said this before, too. I will say it again. I, the only thing I don't like about Harry's is that the packaging is so nice that I often I feel bad throwing it out. Like when I use up, a, you know, I empty the last uh, blade out of a pack. The box is so nice. It, it, just the way it closes, the way it looks, the, everything about it. It feels like I'm throwing away something I'm supposed to keep. But, I mean, what are you going to do with an empty box of blades? Um, so why pay 30? You, like, uh, you go to a big, you know, try to get Gillette. You're going to pay 30, 32 bucks for uh, an eight-pack. You get them for half that price at Harry's. For just 15 bucks, you get a razor, the shaving cream, three-blade cartridges. But if you use this code, talk show, they don't have the the. They just have talk show. Harry's is just talk show. But you use that code, you'll save five bucks. So that makes the $15 kit, which is an amazing deal. Just 10 bucks. It's almost like getting it free. So go to harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Remember the code talk show without the the, just talk show, and you'll save five bucks at checkout on your first order. Um, where, where, wither the Mac. Wither uh, the Mac. Uh, I talked about this last week too, but my biggest regret on my live show with, with Phil Schiller and, Craig Federighi, uh, the one question I had on my list and just didn't get to was um, professional people are very concerned because it really looks at the evidence, you know, shows it really looks like Apple is so focused on consumer products, iPhones and iPads primarily, that the focus on professional um, products like the Mac Pro and the MacBook Pros. Uh, has dropped. And even on the Mac, the machine that's been updated the most regularly is the MacBook one port thing. Yeah. Which is not, you know, not a pro device. So, you know, I wish I would have asked, didn't get to. Have you, have you tried to use a, a, a Retina MacBook for any period of time? No. I used one for a couple of days this past week. No, I because I've never really had access to one other than to just kick the tires in a store or something like that. Yeah, so Dieter Bone, uh, the executive editor of The Verge, like, that's his computer, swears by it, loves it. <laughs> I didn't use publish the photo from the, the yeah. keynote, <laughs> yeah. because to use it to do the live blogging from the keynote, he had to put like a, 
like a dongle on the side that gives you know it it's like it plugs into the the one USB C port and then gives him like a couple of USB ports and then and then there's like millions of things plugged into it yeah because there's no there's no great USB C hub this is true it's uh, very we have true. like ninety of them they get really hot they're like crazy they're it's just you know, they'll get better it's it's just gonna take a minute right like. It's they're on the second generation of the computer. It's fine. I, but the I have, best way to do it is to go USB C to USB and then use another hub. I have a 13 inch MacBook Pro that yeah. is, I think, coming up on two years old, and it is uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Uh, so, yeah. I you know, and I tend to use my Macs for incredibly long periods of time. I don't because it just it. Even today, and with Dropbox and a couple of other things that make transitioning to a new Mac uh, easier than ever before, it still isn't easy, like just upgrading to a new phone. And I've got a bunch of little fiddly stuff on my system, like uh, custom Perl scripts that reformat Markdown, and they require um, libraries from CPAN. CPAN is like the the central, you know, open source archive of Perl libraries. Um, so every time I get a new Mac, I've got to install a bunch of little fiddly command line things like that. And I never remember them all. And I, somewhere I've got like a note, you know, that says here, here's like the 20 steps to go through when you set up a Mac. <laughs> so I don't like, I just don't want to do it. And uh, I am at the point, I've been there for a while where with what I do, uh, faster Mac doesn't really make a difference. Like ever since I've gone to um, uh, solid state drives. Yeah. Ever since I've gone there, uh, I've never thought anything was slow on my Mac. So I just don't upgrade. So I feel like it'll be a couple of years before I get a new uh, laptop, at least another two years, I'll bet, unless something, some disaster happens to my MacBook Pro. Uh, uh, so and when that happens, I expect that I will buy the MacBook One port because I don't plug anything into my my MacBook. So it's interesting because I, I, I assume that you're like, you know, the, the, the classic Mac advice was always buy like as much computer as you can afford. Right? Yes. Yeah. I just always buy the top end one. Yep. Um, but you know, my wife had like a MacBook Air, and it was just this endless, interminable wait for them to put out a new computer that was meaningfully better than hers. Yep. Is you know they were faster, but like I, there's a Retina screen around the corner, so I, I bought her. I was gonna buy her the the 2015 one port MacBook, but that thing wasn't actually faster than her computer, and her computer was a dog. So it was just like this move to consumer machines, this focus the less powerful processors, it kind of doesn't matter if you're always buying the most expensive, fastest one. But if you're in that consumer zone, you end up in this black hole sometimes of it's, you can just buy the same computer with a slightly faster chip or you can just wait it out until there's the big jump. Um, but I'm with you on solid state drives. I, my iMac at home is like 2011 and I put a huge SSD in it. And I'm like, this is great. Like, uh, but you got to get, get the one with the retina screen. Yeah, it's probably that's one. But I'm waiting, right? Yeah. It's like, even, at this point, you might as well wait till they do a new one. You gotta wait, and then, then it's like a whole big thing. And yeah. that one, my iMac in particular, that is like now five years of random fiddly shit, right? Yep. Like there's like a Plex library that if you breathe on it, everything breaks. Like it's just like crazy. Um, but I, my bigger, I think this thing you're saying, my bigger concern is these pro machines, yep. because if the and I think VR is a big inflection point. I think something. Something weird. I think the the Mac Pro and the MacBook Pro are probably two different discussions. Here's this is my what I think. It is a mystery to me, and I think that the reason, I think the problem with the Mac Pro is that I think Apple truly just isn't as interested 
in that market. And even though they probably they themselves are probably one of the biggest users of them, you know, I bet there's a ton <laughs> of engineers at Apple who use Mac Pros, but as a business, it's just not meaningful. Whereas the MacBook Pro is actually big business. It it you know I, it's probably the most profitable Mac that they make. I I would think just you know in terms of not like on one unit being the most problem. I'm just saying multiply as many as they sell by how much profit they make. It's super popular. It may not be as may not sell in the great great numbers as the lower priced MacBook Airs and the MacBook One, but because it's so much more expensive and lots of people buy them, um, so I can't think that they're disinterested. So my guess is that there's something going on like where the new ones that are coming out that. They're just not ready, even though they were supposed to be. Because I really thought a couple months ago, it seemed like Steam was really building up that they were probably going to announce them at WWDC. And then it came and went, and and they didn't. And I can't help but think that that's coming soon, though. The Mac yeah, Pro, yeah. on the other hand, it's just baffling to me. 900 days, it's like 920 days at this point without an update. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And they put it out with such fanfare. Remember? Right. Like, we can innovate. What was it? Can't innovate my ass? Can't innovate uh, my ass. Uh, it's just, I, I, there's a lot of, like, I, I have this like visual metaphor of the whole tech industry. It's like, uh, it's like a long balloon and you like, you squeeze it and all the money goes somewhere else. There's a lot of that money. It's just, <laughs> it's true. It it's is just like how true. I think about it. Right. Like, um, <laughs> a lot of the money that was like focused on let's make apps for phones or let's do a new phone platform or make, actually make a new phone, another disaster business idea. Um, a lot of that money is going towards using the screens and processors and chips and all that stuff and going to VR and like building VR experiences. And it's at this moment, it's just weird. And, you know, obviously Apple entered classically enters the market down the line, but because the Mac pro isn't able to do any of that stuff, it's not even in the conversation. There's nothing about the VR conversation that even tangentially relates to Apple, as far as I can tell. Uh, and that's really, it's just really interesting to me because I think a lot of those people prefer to use a Mac. They just don't. Yeah. I, my, my, my hope is that it's just like a, a bunch of constraints that all have to be lined up. And some, some of them are, are holding back. And with the Mac pro, my hope is that it's that they want to, put out a retina 5k cinema display they want a new mac pro that can drive it right and some maybe the display is not ready yet and therefore they don't want they don't want to release the mac pro without the display to drive it or maybe it's vice versa where they can't release the display uh, <laughs> before the mac pro is ready and maybe the macbook pros it's the same way where they want to be you you can you know dock your macbook pro and ha have it connect to this beautiful standalone retina cinema display that's my hope is that they're just trying to get all of that stuff and they're all going to come out at the same time you're I, I didn't think i would say this that is the most optimistic thing i've ever heard from you um it's it is the, very the idea that apple has tied its entire product line to wanting to make a standalone display is kind of incredible well uh, but it's weird it they like, sell like five of those things a year no i think when they were new when like the the i think i think they used to sell a lot of them. I think I, I used to see a lot and I, you know, um, I don't know, but what do people do at, at Verge? Do people just bring, do you guys give them laptops or does everybody just buy their own? Uh, no, I, I mean, we, we're no longer a startup people, people get computers. So most people get, um, an air, uh, you can request something else or video editors have like 15 inch pros 
and an iMac. Um, I think it's wild that we give people iMacs and not Mac Pros, um, but the iMacs are better. Like I'm actually sitting in the Vox Studios right now, mm-hmm. and it's rows of video editors with iMacs. Right. Um, so one thing, but a lot of people who have a MacBook and they take it with them, when they sit at their desk, it would be nice to dock it to a display. Right, and we give them, we, I think we give them Dell monitors now. Well, I think a lot of, you know, I think Apple has in the past sold a lot of those. At this point in recent years, it doesn't make any sense because they still have the $1,000 price point and it was by no means a $1,000 monitor. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, if they come out with a really nice Retina 5K one, then, and it still has that $1,000 price point, then all of a sudden it's a super compelling. Um, yeah. I, I've seen like uh, Happy Cog is a, a, a web design studio here in Philadelphia. And I've always had a couple friends there. Um, and they, when they set up a new office a couple years ago and I, I stopped by what they did is everybody who works there got a, a MacBook of whatever, you know, their choice that they could take with them home and, you know, to client meetings, or whatever. And at their desk there, everybody had a, a Apple cinema display in front of it when they just dock and get power and have a nice big display. So yeah, I, think- I mean, that's, that's pretty sad. I mean, our product folks, that's basically how they all work too. But I just think it's it's crazy that they haven't updated the Mac Pro for 900 days because of the 5K display in the future. Well, that does it doesn't really justify why there haven't been any interim updates in between. It's, well, but at this point, nobody's looking for like a oh well, we've just put the latest and greatest from Intel in there. At this point, the new Mac, you know, whatever comes out of the Mac Pro, it might have the same hardware, might or external look, but it, it's got to be a really big upgrade at this point. I think. Well, do you think that? So that's like. Interesting. It kind of leads in both directions. Like this consumer focus, like they're bringing consumer, the things you traditionally, the way it worked, let me get this thought out correctly. Traditionally, the way it worked was that all the innovation happened in the enterprise and that would trickle down to consumer stuff. And Apple's big revolution was they were like, what if we cared about people first instead of what your IT guy needs? Uh, And I think we agree that that has been wildly successful and revolutionary in many ways. But it's what's interesting to me is it's really much harder to apply the lessons from consumer technology back to what the professionals need yeah. in a variety of ways. And like, I don't need the Mac Pro to be beautiful. I, I think you're right. The MacBook Pro is a different story. Right. I kind of need the Mac Pro to look like the Quadra 900 and have like 60 slots, you know, like and just be a computer um, that you know, and like have processor daughter. Like there's a there's a world in which that thing is still really valuable. Yeah, and people who are working on video for just name one field. Uh, and, and, you know, developers are another. Like there are, you know, there's all sorts of things that when you, you know, and people who are working on Swift in particular, just because the nature of Swift right now is that you, when you have to do a new build, everything has to get built. Um, and you're waiting. You're sit anytime, you know, those are people who are still waiting on their computers to do stuff. Like, hey, the video is done being edited. Now we just have to spit out the final version. Well, guess what? You're sitting there waiting and you need as much speed as you can. And those people, they, I don't think they really care too much about the beautiful Darth Vader helmet <laughs> style of the thing. Like, they would just take anything, anything that just went faster. Yeah. Give it to me. Bring back the X-Serve. Right. That's it. That's my new petition to Apple. Um, you know, it's funny. We, you know, we've done a handful of 360 videos now. Uh, and when we were rendering, um, I interviewed Michelle Obama and we like shot it in 360 and we were, it's actually not that common. It's just a premiere plugin, right? It just like works, but then you got to render it. Um, and we were, I mean, we just brought every computer in this place, every Mac that we had to its knees, um, including our pros. 
and we were like, yeah, that we, we've hit the wall. Like if you want to participate in this next wave of spherical video or 360 video or VR video, or there's so many arguments about the terms. That yeah. I think great. But if you want to participate in that, these machines, almost none of them are really powerful enough to do it. I think that's, that's what I mean by chaos. Like that's another inflection point. It's going to get a generation of video creators who were brought up on iMovie on their plastic MacBook MacBooks. They're going to be like, well, maybe I'll get a gaming PC with an Oculus helmet and it's fast enough for me to cut a 360 video. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to happen, but it's, it's just another one of those moments when the, there's a new kind of market over there and it's going to develop on its own terms. And I think again, like VR could fail. If you ask the people here who report on VR day in, day out, they're like, this is a mess. Everybody has the best of intentions and the sci-fi future is real and it's fun to go to the brand activation and ride the roller coaster, but consumer VR could just flop. And, or it could be the most successful thing that ever happened. And I think that there's just so much space in there for different, different ways of things to work to happen that it's going to be really confusing for a while, but also incredibly fascinating. Yeah. Um, so you're waiting on a MacBook Pro. How old, how old is the one that you have right now? Uh, 2012 or 2013. Yeah, it's pretty old. Yeah. So I guess it's coming. I mean, uh, that one's definitely coming. The Mac Mac Pro, I don't know. But the MacBook Pros have got to be coming soon. It's It's, you know, and again, and this might tie into the next segment of the show. My other theory, I think it's wrong. I would definitely bet against it, but maybe it's possible, is if the iPhone is moving to lightning port headphones, maybe... They add a lightning port to Macs so that you can use the same headphones. Maybe it's funny. I was I was going to frame that question differently. What ports will they take away? Right. It's like it would be crazy to start adding ports. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, take like, away the headphone port. Yeah. Take well. You take away the headphone port. You could make. I, I don't know if you could do this on a Pro machine. You could take away those standard USB ports and put on USB C ports. That's absolutely move. Uh, do is it time to take? Way Thunderbolt because USB C can get in a, on a Thunderbolt Plus. Like, yeah, or isn't there like a, a there's like a Thunderbolt three that it it like it's very confusing to me. Yeah, it? there's a Thunderbolt three with the same connector, which it's is the same connector as USB C, which sounds convenient. Ch- chaos! I'm telling you, it's just fucking chaos everywhere you look. Uh, it's great. It's super fun. It's like, but it's chaos. It's the idea that I was, you know, I, we, we're gonna end up talking about headphone ports, but so like I did this chart of ports. And I was like looking at the back of all these Macs to like confirm all these ports. And it, it's just hilarious that for the longest time we had modem and print, printer ports, but they were the same port. They just had different labels on them, like through time. Uh, it's like, what were we thinking? <laughs> like, why did we do that? Uh, and now we just have these like rows of USB ports that you can do anything with. And now we're collapsing them. And now, now the standards are interchangeable, but the, the ports are different. And now the, now the ports are going to be the same, but the standards are different. I don't think they're going to add a lightning port. I don't think so either. I it, feels, it, just, it feels messy. It feels messy to me. And it, it also feels like there's a very clean line up until now where lightning is a, is a port and, and, you know, just combine it with the 30 pin adapter, which it replaced. Those two ports were for iOS devices and iPods and never on the Mac. And all the ports on the Mac were never on iOS devices. And, adding lightning to the Mac just so you can use the same headphones. It, it, it sounds good if you just want to use the same headphones, but it blurring that line of what devices have a lightning port and what do they use it for? seems weird. And, it and also don't... you're going to get a lot of people trying to charge their Macs 
right? I mean, it just is, it's the easy. It, what do you use a lightning port for? It charges your phone. You're going to get a lot of people who are just going to right. plug a charger in that lightning port, and that's God not going to work, it's, right? It's or it's going to like fry. Your, I mean, probably well, not. they're smarter than that, but yeah. like, who knows? Like that that's a bad outcome, right? Yeah. It's you've you've taught everybody to charge their phones with this thing for the longest time, especially if you tried charging your Mac with a little phone <laughs> phone <laughs> charger. See, that's a great, finally, a use for Facebook Live. How long will right. it take to charge my MacBook Pro? Uh, On an just iPhone. Give, just leave it running for four days. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think people think of Lightning as anything other than the charging port. I yeah. don't think they think of it as the docking port or the audio port. Or, yeah. you know, there's a million things it can do, but I think it, it's what charges your phone. And I get all the arguments about why you'd remove the headphone jack and, like, fine. They're, they're arguments. They're, some are better than others. I don't think we need to add this port and start making people think of it as a headphone jack. Because basically what you're doing is you're taking out a headphone jack and you're adding another headphone jack. Right? It's just a different thing. You, you haven't really accomplished all that much if you add it to the MacBook Pro. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't think that's what we're waiting for either. I don't know. But, but I'm, I am desperate to buy a new MacBook. The video card in this one is like a little on the fritz. It's like, it's just old. It's you know this thing's been knocked around. It's traveled a lot. We're sitting at WWC live blogging, and the screen started flickering. <laughs> and I looked at Dieter, and you know Dieter's got the camera. He's like taking photos. The live blog is so stressful. He's got you know ninety wires off his MacBook. The thing's like nuclear hot. I was like, should I tell him that my computer's about to die? It's like <laughs> no. So I'll tell him. Later. Let's hope it sticks around. So yeah, it's time. So I was I was using his old actually. He I, he upgraded a twenty sixteen uh, one port MacBook. And I was using his old one for a couple of days. Um, it's like if they just merge the, all of the ideas about the MacBook Pro with that single port MacBook and keep the keyboard full size, because that keyboard is actually a little bit smaller, yes. at, least from, at least to my hands. Um, that, that, is, that is everything I've ever wanted in a laptop. I think that that's what they're doing. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't, to my knowledge, actual like uh, schematics have not leaked. But the rumors are that it's switching to a like a MacBook Air style teardrop design, and it totally makes sense, you know, that Apple would do that because of their obsession with device thinness. Um, so, and and I used to have a MacBook Air, and the one thing I I totally miss with this MacBook Pro that I have now is that while I was using the Air for a few years. I completely became addicted to being able to reach in my bag and know which way the laptop was oriented because it was a wedge shape. And I can't, t- I, it's like, to me now, it's like a 50% chance. Like I just come out and if, if anything, I, or I tend to orient it the wrong way more often than not, because I'm such an old school uh, Mac user that I remember when my first PowerBook had the Apple logo the other way. Oh, Wow. And so I still tend to, if I, I can't do it by feel and I just plop the MacBook in front of me, looking at the Apple logo from my perspective, the right way. And then I'm like, oh shoot. And I got to turn it around. I so do it by I, feel on the hinge, right? Cause the hinge yeah. is plastic. But it, it's, to me, that's one of the great points. It's the great, it, there's a real usability advantage to the, the air slash MacBook one port, uh, wedge shape. Yeah. I think I I just need a 15 inch screen. It's it's like it's just as simple as that for me, right? Like the 12 inch screen, the 13 inch screen, it's great. People love them. They're obviously hugely popular. And then every time I use one, I'm like, oh, I could get used to this. And I go back to my 15 inch Pro, and it just it's home. Yeah, it's 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 where I belong. And I'm just desperately waiting for them to bring back or to bring this this screen size to that design. 
I guess my biggest question about it, I, I can't help but think that they're coming soon. My question is, would they would they release them at the same event in September where they do the the iPhone? Like man, last, it seems like September is about to blow up, right? Yeah. Well, last year they did it with the Pro. They put the iPad Pro in the same event as uh, the iPhone, and they introduced the all new Apple TV at the same event. So it's not like they're unwilling to share the stage at the the iPhone events. Um, and maybe because the everybody seems to think you know that the this new iPhone isn't really going to look different, that it's and therefore it's a little bit, um, you know. If it doesn't look different, there's a little bit less excitement. Therefore, it needs something to share the event with. So maybe I mean, right now, if you if you look at where they are, that September event is bonkers, right? It's um, new iPhones, it's MacBook Pros, hopefully. It is the watch. It is potentially a new iPad Air. Like it, it's stacked. Yeah. Well, there's, no, there won't be an iPad Air. Why not? Oh, I think that they're. I I think that uh, I don't think they'll do a new iPad Air. I think that the iPad Pros are uh, the only things that'll ever get updated. And eventually, the iPad Air. What'll happen is they'll come out with new iPad Pros, mm-hmm. and they'll just keep these iPad Pros that we have today and slot them into the price points where the iPad Air is now. I don't think they're ever going to release another device that has Air in the name. Oh no, Air is they they don't have a device called the iPad right now. So I, I just right. meant like a standard iPad. You you think that's just gone? Yeah, because I think that the I think they're going to do like what they do with the phones. It's just populate the lower price points with two and three year old devices. So everything will just be iPad Pros. Uh, yeah, that's the only question. Is I don't understand how the marketing works on that. If like a year from now, when there's a new iPad Pro, how do you have? You know, I guess you just have cheaper iPad Pros, and they somehow make it clear, <laughs> you know, why you'd want to get the bigger one or the more expensive one. Well, I mean, actually, it's, I could I could give, offer you the same question about the MacBook Pro. What at this point for a new MacBook Pro makes it Pro, other than it has a real processor, not a Core M? Um. Yeah, but it's the performance. Uh, I guess the ports, right? I mean, it's like pro users are the ones more likely to quote unquote need the ports. Yeah, it's it just it, you know it just all used to make sense. There was like four boxes in a grid, and now it's the the blurriness. Okay, it's chaos, right? It's even the iPad line to me is how many SKUs are there, and it's what. The, what makes the one the pro right now is it has the pencil and it has the smart connector. Yeah. But you could make an argument that every iPad should have those. I think that's the argument you're making. Yeah, so it will eventually. Ma- so what makes the pro the pro again? And it that to me is it's there's a lot there's kind of a lot of flex in Apple's naming right now. Not flex, flux in Apple's naming. Um it's just I'm curious to see how, how that settles down. Like, how do they start communicating to consumers like this is the model for people who do work with these and this is the model for everybody else? And maybe the answer is that there is no change and they just get rid of the word pro and they just sell them as iPads. Yeah, because the other reason I don't think that they will come out with anything, a new device called iPad Air, is just that the uh, the iPad Pro at least, you know, both of them, but especially the 9.7 inch one, it's not like it's heavier or thicker 
than the iPad yeah. Air. It's the exact same thickness and same low weight. So there's no difference. Like one of the things that there was more, to me, more clarity in the naming was when they were really selling two types of laptops, MacBook Air and MacBook Pro. The Air is the one by definition that is thinner and lighter. And the Pro is thicker and heavier because it offered more performance. And Right. They, they, it signified trade-offs, right? Like, right. And in the middle, you had what I think is one of the best Macs ever made, the black plastic MacBook. Yeah. Um, which was like the perfect compromise of all of those things. And then the, if you wanted, if you just wanted to prioritize how thin it was, you could pick an Air. If you wanted to prioritize how powerful it was against its size, you could pick the Pro. Right. But that, those days are over, we think, it appears. At the same time, uh, MSI is making backpacks that you can put full gaming PCs in so you can walk around in a VR headset. So maybe those days aren't quite as over as we think. But that that's like, to me, it's... You started out by saying this. Apple's relentless consumer focus has led it down a path where it's fairly clear how the things will go, but it's also, I think, becoming more clear that that is not necessarily the only path. Mm. Whereas I think for the longest time, Apple's overwhelmingly good taste and sense of what the consumer market needed made it pretty obvious that they were on the only correct path. And now you just see there's, there's a lot of ways to kind of cut at it. And Apple's big advantage, as far as I can tell, is that they own the best processor design group. Yep. And have, they have... I, the think that that, I, I think that's fair to say. I really do. And it's, it's, you know, it is a tremendous advantage. Right, except for the fact that um, you know, the Macs use Intel chips. So. Right, <laughs> for now. Um, for now. Uh, and, they, and they obviously have operating systems that people prefer to use um, in, in large margins. So, but if you, on a, particularly on the Mac side, if everybody's using Intel chips and like throwing them in different form factors all over the place, Apple's set of trade-offs is not necessarily at this moment the right set of trade-offs. Like you just have to want to use a Mac and then you get whatever Apple gives you. Yeah. And I, per, I personally would rather use a Mac at this point than almost anything. Well, have you seen I, the new HP thing? Uh, which one? The Spectre? Yeah. Um, not in person. I but read they, uh, Joanna's review where the where she uh, cuts the cheese. <laughs> you know, Joanna uh, is a, a dear friend of mine. I think a friend of yours. Um, she just won a super prestigious business journalism award last night. The, the I know. I or two nights ago, I think. And I was sitting there thinking they didn't watch the cheese video. <laughs> no, you know, I I was the backstory. Uh, hopefully, she's going to be on this show soon. Uh, sometime in the next few weeks. She was going to be on this week and it just didn't work out scheduling wise. And she, she literally said to me, you should have Neelai on. I would listen to that. And I was like, you know what? That's a great idea. I'll see if Neelai's available. Um, but yeah, she did just win an award for her videos. Um, yeah. And they're terrific. I, I love them. But um, I don't know, the, the Spectre to me is, it's the first good, you know, the, there's always been the question, I think we ran this post at Engadget years ago. What is the Windows laptop? Right? Like, what's the one that, when you're like, I want to buy a Windows laptop, it's the one that you say you're going to buy. Well, it used to be a ThinkPad, in my opinion. Yeah, and then you know, Lenovo bought them, and they got a little sketchy in the middle there. I think they're a lot better now, but kind of, sort of. Um, they even those were kind of loaded with like garbage. Um, there was any number of bad Dells that people bought. The HP Spectre is the first one in a long time where I'm like, yes, that that's the one you should buy. Even perhaps more than um, Microsoft's own Surface Book, which I. I think it's like a beautiful piece of design it, with a many confused ideas about how large and heavy of a tablet you'd like to use in your life. Yeah. Um, 
but it's it's beautifully designed. But I would love to see that the team that designed Microsoft's Surface uh, notebook with the detachable screen. I would love to see the exact same design team to do a laptop that doesn't have a detachable screen. They got to do it sometime, right? It's like it's they made it detachable just to not piss off Dell. Yeah, and it's and, like something like that. And every single thing about the device that I find iffy, other than the whole Mac versus Windows thing, but just as a, as a device turned off, is has to do with that the display and the compromises they had to make to to make that work. And so, th- actually, this comes back to the MacBook Pro and the, the Mac Pro. And you know, there were lots of rumors about problems with Surface Books that were somewhat related to Skylake. And I'm pretty sure Apple just was like, you know what, Skylake is. Kind of buggy. It kind of got rushed out there. We're just not going to touch it. Um, I've definitely heard, and the the way the way that I've heard about that the most is the issues with the Surface Book. So hmm. who knows? Uh, I've often asked this question. To me, it's an interesting. Um, it's just when you're talking to people about tech, is what would you rather use? Would you rather use uh, uh, a MacBook hardware running Windows or? A PC laptop running macOS 10. How does the trackpad work on both of these things? <laughs> That's a great question, right? It's like so you're saying you would probably take the a Windows a PC laptop running macOS 10 if you could be assured that you'd have a trackpad that was up to you know pretty good. Yeah. Sure. But I don't know if it's like Windows fault. Like if you install Windows, well, it works it works pretty well, I guess. Yeah, I, I at this point, just because of the how long in the tooth is, if you assure me that the trackpad's going to work well, I would take a newer, more higher performing uh, Windows laptop running. MacOS. I would take even, or I guess uh, Mac OS. I would even take a, a a PC with a crummy trackpad running Mac OS ten, then run Windows on a Mac, just because I'm so mentally proficient in yeah. the Mac environment. The software is so much more important to me than the hardware. It's like the fact that Apple also makes the best hardware is just like a very nice, uh, that's lucky for me because the the OS platform that I want to use, you know, happens to have the best hardware too. Uh, have you used Chrome OS at all? Uh, not like seriously. I mean, I, I couldn't, I to me, I just couldn't, I, I would always feel like I've got, handcuffs on using just a browser so it's that's same but although now they're doing android apps so i'm like very excited to see how that works out but um i i wrote about this i bought my mother a chromebook pixel instead of a retina macbook for christmas because i like i said this earlier on the show i'm terrified of her using new software mm-hmm. right like it just it just accrues back to me in the form of support calls um so i was like you know i had her make me a list of what she does and like they're all, it's all the web, right? Like everything she does is on the web. And so I brought her this Chromebook and what's interesting, and I never really thought of this before, Chrome OS is so close to a Mac, even down to the way the mouse cursor looks, that it's, it's like a seamless transition if you're not out looking for Photoshop, right? It's like if you use a Mac with Chrome and I just slide in a pixel, you might not notice for a minute except for the fact that the hardware is a little bit different. Yeah. It's, it's that close. And it's amazing to me. It's, not, you know, it's obviously been seven months since I bought her this computer. Uh, my mother is in love with this thing. And what she's in love with the most is because she generally uses her iPhone and iPad, 
when she gets home, she still she just touches the screen constantly. Right? She's like opening Chrome and then she scrolls. She doesn't scroll with the mouse or the trackpad. She scrolls on the screen. Um, and she clicks on links on the screen. And it's actually <laughs> that's and like so everybody weird. I know with the pixel is like, yeah, that's it just starts happening to you. <laughs> and it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy to me. But it's it's so close to a Mac experience that it 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 comforts you and then it like leads you down a whole other path. Um I'm not surprised to hear that. And I, you know, I think that, you know, I, I hope that the Mac stays around for a good long time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's clear that for most people, Mac or Windows is overkill. It's the fact that they're so capable and that there's so much you can do at a technical level with native apps and the way that you can install your own software and customize the user interface. And, um, all the you know quote unquote power user stuff that you can do in Mac and Windows um, is completely over the heads and irrelevant for a good ninety five ninety six ninety seven percent of the world and when you give the those other people a device that don't have those sharp edges and there is no way to misconfigure the device, it is such a relief for them it's it is such a it's just like a huge weight off their shoulders. I remember talking to a friend um it's a couple of WWDCs ago, um, whose father-in-law was—I forget what he was in. He was in like finance or something like that. But he was also sort of like the the guy, you know, that was his career. But he was like the guy in the office who was also the PC enthusiast. Yeah, and <laughs> he was like a, a world-class Excel expert. You know, he could do what are those tables called? The the super complex tables in Excel. Uh, Pivot tables. Pivot tables, yeah. So he totally understood pivot tables inside and out. Uh, was always a Windows guy. And when he retired, uh, my friend, you know, he was like, you know, I'm sick of all this stuff on Windows. You know, there's so many problems with it. I don't need Excel anymore. And so my friend tried to get him to use a Mac and got him a Mac. And it just never stuck. I mean, the guy was a tech enthusiast and it just never stuck. And then he bought himself an iPad and just just went flying just like and just his mac just sits there gathering dust and now it's he just uses an ipad for everything and this is a guy who is sort of a technical expert but now that he doesn't need excel and it's the fact that he like he knows that he can't misconfigure it there's nothing you can do on an ipad that'll render it you know oh i I shouldn't have done that i (laughs) shouldn't have installed that it overwrote my old you know the shared library and now this app doesn't work there's nothing like that i actually i'm wondering do you think and, Apple's ever going to put a full desktop class browser on the iPad? Right, it's it's like close, but it's it's just no. not there. No, I think that the Safari on the iPad is exactly what they want it to be, especially now that they've increased the number of tabs. Right, and you can do the the simul- simultaneous screen thing. Yeah, that, that's the holdback for me. It's I I could I could maybe get away with using an iPad for work, but not having the desktop web browser. I did it when I when I uh, when I reviewed the iPad Pro the big one back in September. And I really tried to live full time on it for like two weeks. Uh, And I, I I have so many little, like I said, like little things that I've installed and customized on my Mac over the years. And I never, never stopped missing them. And it was always like when I gave up, you know, when I finished my review and, and went back to my Mac, it was a huge relief. The one thing that happened to me though, was that after two weeks on the iPad pro, I did start touching my MacBook screen. And I'm sort of an obsessive compulsive. <laughs> don't ever touch my my screen. 
Like it's entirely possible, I think, unless somebody's snuck into my office here, it's entirely possible that no fingertip has ever touched my iMac screen. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I guess I never like think about touching my iMac screen. There's definitely fingerprints. But I'll tell you, after two weeks of using the iPad Pro exclusively, I just inst- I, I when I went back to my MacBook Pro, it it, it just touched the screen without thinking. Usually huh. for scrolling, like you're- there's. It's what I'm saying. There's it, we all think of touchscreen laptops as being ridiculous, but there there's something there about linking at least the scroll action back to what you do with a touchscreen device. Yeah. There's something there. I don't know if it's like the right thing, but it's something. Yeah. Uh, let me take a, one last break here and thank our third and final sponsor. And it's our good friends at Casper. They, hey. They make obsessively engineered mattresses at shockingly fair prices. Go to casper.com slash the talk show. Use that code, the talk show. This is another one with the the that I love in the code. And you'll <laughs> save 50 bucks towards your mattress. Casper has created one perfect type of mattress, and they sell it directly to consumers, eliminating commissions, inflated prices, the middleman at the mattress stores. Uh, it, they developed it in-house. It has a sleek design. It's uh, delivered in remarkably small boxes. I just saw this. Now, the, it, in Manhattan, you can get Casper delivered same day. Do you know this, Neelai? Yeah. And it, how do they deliver them? On bicycles, right? That's how small these boxes are. Where People put them on like a special rig on their back and they just drive, ride through Manhattan on bicycles and deliver mattresses. That's how small the box is. It is amazing. It's worth buying a Casper mattress just to see how small the box is when it shows up at your house. Or to open it because that's super fun. It is very fun. It's, it is, <laughs> it's an experience because you think <laughs> there is no way that this is going to work. There is no way that a nice mattress is coming out of this small box. And it is, it is a great mattress. Um, and the prices are so amazing. If you've ever gone mattress shopping, you'll know that these prices are great. Premium mattresses in retail stores usually cost over fifteen hundred bucks. Casper mattresses start at five hundred bucks for twin, seven fifty for a full, eight fifty for queen, and just nine hundred and fifty bucks for a king size mattress. And they're made in America, right here in the United States. Uh, and they've made you think, uh, you know, this is the big thing. Do you really want to buy a mattress for 950 bucks? get a king-size mattress that you've never even tried? They, it's completely risk-free. Free delivery, free returns with a 100-night home trial. Get it, sleep on it for three months, and it, you can say, you know what? Don't like it. You just go on the web, say, uh, send it back. They'll come to your house, get it out of there. No questions asked. No hard sell. They don't, they don't, it's not like trying to cancel your cable. They'll just say, okay. That's how confident they are that you're going to like this mattress. I have heard from so many readers who have bought these mattresses and they're like, I really thought it was weird buying a mattress online without trying it. I'm so glad I did because this was the best experience I've ever had. And going to a regular retail mattress store is not the best experience you're ever going to have. So go to casper.com slash the talk show and you'll save 50 bucks off the already great prices. Um. We're going to talk about this headphone part. Yeah, I was like, we're going to do this? This is what the people are waiting for. <laughs> this is we why. made him wait like an hour and 45 minutes for this shit. Uh, what was your headline? <laughs> your headline was uh, removing the headline port is stupid and user hostile. User hostile and stupid. User right? hostile and stupid. Got Which right I firmly on. believe, by the way. But it's a strong opinion weekly held. Uh, that's And that is why you and I get along. Yeah. Uh, and I hope I feel the same way. And my retort... Some people misinterpret it. Some people are saying that we took it as me saying it would be great to get rid of the headphone port. My 
my summary of my take is more, let's wait and see. Like, we don't know yet. I don't know. Maybe, you know, it, it, there are scenari- There are ways that this could play out where I would say, you know what, this doesn't, this doesn't seem like a, an improvement. Yeah. Uh, so here's basically, and I, so I do believe it. It's, it's wrong to take it out. And I, you know, it's actually, fu- one of the reasons you write something like that is just see how people are going to respond, right? Mm. Uh, and like get some counter arguments because right now it's like before you do that it's a lot of people are like oh they're gonna do it there's a rumor who knows oh, I might suck it's like let's argue let's 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 debate let's 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 get it out there so here's my version of this which is it's it's one of the few places in technology where the ecosystem connects into something much larger than Apple or computers or uh, the tech industry. It's an ecosystem of how we listen to things in general, right? And that ecosystem has all kinds of facets that we're not taking into account when we just think about a phone or a laptop or, you know, my USB audio interface here or whatever the hell it is. Um, there are lots of devices that connect to a headphone jack that um, less privileged people use. Uh, um, like poor people have headphones. Are we going to make them all buy new headphones or buy a dongle? Um, because the most dominant phone vendor decided it was time. There's all kinds of, and that's just that's just a thing. Um, there are tons and tons of accessibility devices that plug into a headphone jack, and I I mentioned it in my piece, and I I didn't like expound on it because I didn't want to sound too confident about something I'm not particularly well versed in, but I, I know it's true. And Corey Doctorow actually wrote another piece that kind of like expanded on it, which I thought was great. I did not there, see that Corey Doctorow. Uh, so yeah. it boing boing. Yeah, boing boing. Um, I will look it up. So that, that was good. And then to me, and this was my first point, and I actually went to law school because I felt so strongly in college about audio and DRM and piracy and Napster. Uh, once you make almost all of the signal chain digital, the content industry, it, it cannot help itself. It's like, it's just its base instinct is to try to lock it down. And once you start locking it down, you start cutting off groups of people who have who want to do the right thing legally, and so they can't because they're they have to ask for permission. They can't get it, and the people who are going to do the illegal shit are never going to ask for permission. They'll just break it. So you end up in that zone where you're harming more people than you're helping. That to me, because I'm saying the ecosystem is bigger than computers or phones or Apple or the tech industry. It's the ecosystem of how in the world we connect speakers and headphones and other audio devices together. Once you start fucking with that, you start to have these knock-on effects that are almost all negative and are almost all accruing control to some other entity. And I think that is really dangerous. And the one you brought up that I didn't mention because I was talking about it generally, and because there's USB-C headphones out in the world now too and USB-C phones, but you brought up Apple owns the licensing program for Lightning, right. so they have MFI. And so now you have to ask, ask potentially not only Apple for permission to make the connector, you might have to go get permission from some you know, third-party DRM vendor to send Spotify through it or another DRM vendor to send your licensed Netflix audio through it. Like, I, I'm sure there are people listening to this who think I'm insane but this is the history of digital signal chains. It is always what happens. And that, to me, is the scariest part. Um, but I would just say that, to me, for everything else other than audio, it's always for... 
iPhones and iPads, it's always been Lightning or the proprietary 30-pin thing. Um, we'll just call it Lightning since that's all that's relevant today. Um, I don't think the world of Lightning peripherals is all that restricted. I mean, it's, you know, but it's, it is certainly different though, where like, if you're, you get to the airport and you go through security and then you're like, all right, I got an hour to go. Let me listen to a podcast. And you realize, oh shit, I don't, I didn't pack headphones. Yeah. You know, you, you, you don't even have to worry. You're like, well, I'm out 10 bucks. I'll just go buy, you know, there's a, gotta be a store here that sells, uh, there's probably a store that you can see wherever you are in the airport, right? <laughs> right? Like at any moment, you can probably see the place where you can go in the airport and you'll be able to buy headphones and you're not, you're not going to be out a lot of money. I mean, if you want to, there usually is also a store that'll sell you a $400 pair of Bose noise canceling headphones too, but you'll be able to buy a pair of $10 standard headphones. Or the, or the airline that's going to give you it for free. That happens a lot too. Yeah. Right? Here's some crappy headphones. And there's absolutely... You know, even in the best case scenario, if this you know pans out and there is no headphone jack on the new phone, um, it's absolutely a trade off. And one of the the biggest trade off is the universalness of that jack. Yeah. So, and I don't know. Maybe it really will be for the worse. I'm just saying. You know, these changes always get people's dander riled up, and in the long run, it always works out. But the reason I'm saying specifically, and it's a strong word, and I pissed off a lot of people with this word, uh, user hostile, is it's not in service of a greater need and it's not in service of greater value. So you can't, every time Apple's killed something off, there has been a successor technology that has, in my view, delivered an order of magnitude improvement, right? So we kill the floppy, the CD-ROM is sitting there, can hold an order of magnitude more storage. Um, we, you brought up Ethernet jacks in response to my chart. Right. We killed Ethernet jacks. I don't know how the hell you measure this, but I'll just claim Wi-Fi is an order of magnitude more convenient than an Ethernet jack, which you can measure it somehow, and I'm sure I'm right. Um, but there's always some like successor technology where there's some incredible spike in value. We killed VGA and went to DVI. Digital signals are higher quality than that. We killed DVI and went to DisplayPort. The port got smaller and the, the displays are more capable. We went to Thunderbolt. Now we can daisy chain them for days. right? Like there, There's some reason that you want to do this thing over and over again. With the headphone jack, the best arguments for it, and I made a little bit of fun of you, are one, Apple's really good uh, at doing this, so we should know that they have a reason. Uh, it might help with waterproofing, which there are lots of waterproof phones on the market right now with headphone jacks, and it'll help make it thinner and might make more space with the battery. I don't think that any of those things in isolation or in combination provide an order of, val- order of magnitude amount of value over the universalness and the accessibility of the headphone jack. That's why I tend to think now at a gut level that the transition, that they're going to, the 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 message from Apple is going to be to go wireless. Right. Because that to me is a, an advantage. And as somebody who owns a pair of wireless, um, ear, earphones or buds, what do you got? I have the beats, uh, whatever they're called. <laughs> they have the, a lot of names. They're the ones that are just like the, the solo twos. No, no, ones? no. They're small. They're just, they just go in your ear and over the ear. Oh, and they're wireless. Yes. Oh, cool. Um, I was thinking of the big noise canceling cans. No, I don't. No, I don't have those. Um, and it's you know not getting caught, not having a cable that can get caught or that your arm gets caught in when you're running or bicycling or whatever. It is a huge advantage. 
Uh, Bluetooth kind of sucks, though. I mean, and yeah. you know, you even linked to my thing where I've been saying it for a while where the Bluetooth slogan should always be Bluetooth. It's going to be better next year. Yeah. Um, so that's why I've also started in, in my writing about it and talking about it, where I'm saying I think the message from Apple is going to be wireless, not necessarily Bluetooth, wireless. So maybe they'll come up with, and again, this gets into the whole proprietary versus standard thing. What if they come up with their thing that is like what Lightning is to USB? Uh, Apple's wireless technology is to Bluetooth. It is an Apple only, but works proprietary thing and that you can just who knows maybe just use nfc you wouldn't even have to plug in a lightning just rub the earphones against your iphone and they're paired right and that solves the macbook dilemma right because you can uh, yeah presumably be able to pair them if they're bluetooth in particular it solves the macbook dilemma well or bluetooth better you know apple bluetooth plus plus that's you know all right i mean bluetooth 5 maybe, maybe, maybe with a fallback to bluetooth so that you could use them on an old macbook you know, yeah. one that's not the new that I maybe they're holding out and has the new NFC sort of uh, pairing process. I don't know. I, I'm just imagining, and again, maybe I'm maybe I'm way too optimistic. Uh, I'm just uh, or wishful thinking. I don't know, but I'm just hoping that they come out. You know, that the answer is if the headphone jack is going away, the answer is we've got these new wireless ones, and you're going to be. You're, as soon as you use them, you're going to be. I can't believe I spent all those years with the cable connecting my headphones to my phone. Because yeah. I think, and that's why I just think connecting headphones to the lightning port, it, 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 it just isn't a win. Yeah, I don't think it's like, it isn't. It, it, you're going to have an adapter or you're going to have one pair of headphones that you lose. It's, it's kind of the same thing in the wireless, right? I, I almost think they have to, Bluetooth 5 is here, right? The standard's out. It's been, they've been talking about it. If they go with something like Bluetooth 5, which like I'm saying, it could be the year. It, this could be the right. one. Um, then then now you start to get an argument where it's okay here's a standard we can put these headphones everywhere um you know the 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 free set on the airplane can come with a cheapo adapter for lightning and we can use it with your mac okay that's a fine set of arguments but what you do lose over and over and over again is just the the universality of this thing that has literally been around forever like you know, the, the quarter inch shack is like 1898. Like, there's a reason it sticks around. There's a reason that, you know, Sony tried to build a proprietary jack with a dongle that could plug a headphone into it. HTC tried to do it. There's a reason. Getting rid of the are, headphone jack might be the land war in Asia, right? Yeah, it it's like, it's, it's just, everyone has failed to do this. And Apple has a unique scale and they have a unique market power, uh, I think unparalleled in the history of consumer goods to just lead people down a road. Um, but this might be the one and I, I just don't know. And I, I think you're saying we don't know. And my take on it is the, the amount of obvious risk that you are taking to do this, like blindly obvious risk versus the amount of currently available right. benefit is just way lopsided. Like <laughs> this is the point. reason people say, I'm not going to buy a new iPhone this year. And they're already in the zone where people are beginning to say, I'm not going to buy a new iPhone this year. And maybe, maybe they're going to take it away this year, and they're going to bring it back on the iPhone 7, 10-year anniversary. It's the most beautiful design ever. And everyone's like, oh, the iPhone jack's back. And that's how they're planning to do it. Like Maybe there's a whiteboard somewhere that's like, here's what we'll do. We'll kill sales this year. And next year, we'll bring it back, and sales will skyrocket. Like, no. I doubt it. <laughs> no. I don't think they could ever bring it back. I think, I don't, I, well. But this, but this is one of those reasons, I think, 
that when they're already in a zone where their sales are starting to plateau because not everybody buys a new iPhone every year, and they're trying to get people into that place with their own upgrade plan yearly, all the carriers are trying to get you to do it. This is one of those like moments when a lot of people would say, maybe I don't need a new phone because that sucks. Yeah, it would be interesting to see. I mean, it would be interesting to see if it actually, you know, and, and if sales are disappointing of this new iPhone with the thing, I mean, it's with the, without the headphone port, it might be impossible to say for sure that's why. But, you know, because it, it might also be, you know, people would say, well, people are also bored with the design. Everybody who has a two-year-old iPhone 6, they think this phone still looks the same, so they'll just hang on for another year. You, you never know what the reason is, for sure, of right. across well, the entire population. I, but, I think the reason that they're leaking out early to the journal and others, like, it's going to look the same, is to set those lower yes. expectations. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, there is another explanation for why Apple is doing it. Um, that is technical and isn't really about a better solution for audio to users. And if, if this, if the keynote event in September comes and they're not really talking about wireless headphones and they're really talking about just the same old ear pods, but now you plug them into the lightning port, then I think that the explanation for why they're doing it is about next year's phone, having this edge to edge top to bottom display. And that putting the headphone jack underneath that display really is a problem. Like I, the waterproofing is obviously not a problem because there's waterproof phones with the headphone jack. Um, the battery explanation, I, I regret even going there because I feel like however much space the headphone jack takes out, I don't think adding that space in the corner is really going to affect battery life too much. I mean, every inch counts or every you know square millimeter counts inside these devices, especially as they get thinner. But the fact that they, they want to go edge to edge with the display top to bottom or as close to edge to edge as it currently is side to side, I think really could be a problem with the headphone jack with as far you know into the device as it inserts. And so rather than doing it, introducing this no headphone jack next year when they do that with this radical new design, it's better to do it now and get people on board a year in advance. Isn't the home button a bigger problem? I mean, the, the display is all over all kinds of other stuff, right? I mean, these are this is one of the best engineering companies in the well, world. Well, they- what I've heard supposedly is that the the home button is on, will be on the screen. It it'll be covered with pixels. So you'll be you know I, I'm not quite sh- I don't know any details about how that's exactly going to work, but that you'll have some kind of thing that you'll feel on the display. But when you're not using it, it'll be covered. You know, it'll be like usable space for apps. Sure, I mean, I, I'm just saying like. If they can put the display over the battery and the processor and the every, everything else, I mean, do they have the same problem with the lightning port? I don't know. No. I, well, the lightning port just it goes in so much. It's so much shallower than the headphone jack, and it's thinner. Right. And yeah, it's thin it, in the right direction. It just, it's one of those things where a thing that I never want to do is assume that Apple isn't good enough to do something because they're it's clear that they can solve problems in a variety of ways. Like it's the same with Google and like Facebook, you know, it's, these are the highest end companies in the world. Like if, if they can't figure it out, it's rarely because there's some huge blocker that they can't either like Moore's law won't take them over or they can't design around. It's something else. Yeah. That's why I'm, I am sticking with my optimistic, my optimistic take that their message is you should go wireless because the long run of Apple devices is, is, Get eliminating as many cables as possible. 
Yeah. You know, so I'll say this, and maybe this is just because I'm a huge nerd. Maybe the vast majority of people are like, yep, wireless. That's what I want to yep. use. Um, I went to, to Dieter Ben's wedding, um, and we – no, it, this is a different story. Well, I did go to his wedding. It was great. Um, I was thinking of a different time that he put a microSD card into a Samsung phone. Um, so we shot uh, – I was saying we shot this 360 thing, and I needed to put it on a headset. And the only way we could get it in time was to put a micro SD card into a computer and then stick it in the back of a phone. And then it was like, I use the phone, it was a computer, and I opened the file and ran with it. And we were just sitting there. How would you do that on an iPhone? It's like almost impossible to, to move a file that big that fast. Yeah. And there's, there is just this value to that kind of extensibility. And you can see where the two platforms will diverge. Yeah. And I, this might be one of those moments when they're going to get more divergent because the Android phone is going to be the one with um, removable storage and a headphone jack and a USB-C port and all these standards and connectivity and an, and an app store that lets you sideload and all this other stuff. And it's more of a computer. And the iPhone is the sheet of glass that commands you to use it in certain ways. I was at the eye, eye doctor yesterday and, uh, uh, and, well, they know for some reason, I, I don't even know how it came about, but they know who, what I do. They know that I'm, you know, right about Apple stuff. And I think it's because the actual, my actual eye doctor, she's, she's a bit of a, a tech nerd. She has an Apple watch. Uh, hey. And her, uh, while I was waiting, the room I was, you know, that I was in like the, the, the optometrist chair and uh, it's right, right behind the receptionist desk. And, uh, she was just asking me, Hey, what's, you know, she knows what I do. And she's like, what's coming up? What's new? What's the big thing? You know, trying to talk shop. And I said, believe it, believe it or not, it's, it's that the next iPhone is going to remove the <laughs> headphone jack. And it's really all everybody it's in my whole industry is talking about this headphone jack. And I, it sounds as I, t as these words are coming out of my mouth and I tell you that that's the next big thing. I can't believe that I'm telling you that, but you asked <laughs> and that's the answer. And I thought that is it just sounded so goofy once I started saying it, but it really is to me fascinating because it's, it, it, it could play out so many different ways. Well, it's just, like I'm saying it, this relates back to the very beginning of the show. Like what, what do I want to cover at the verge? It's how technology impacts the culture, right? It's, it's, that's the focus and the culture of how we listen to everything was, is built around this Jack. It's right. wild. Actually, I, like if I, you just, it's everywhere. As we discuss it on an audio-only podcast that will yeah. be, you know, anybody who hears this discussion is using headphones or speakers, getting audio off a device somehow. Yeah. Um, actually, it's funny. I think Marco released stats. So many people just, my wife does this, they just use a speaker on the phone. Maybe yeah. that's what Apple's banking on, <laughs> is that most people are just like, fuck it, and they just use the speaker on the phone. I don't know. That would be uh, funny. But yeah, I, I just think it's, it's an it's another one of these inflection points when it's okay we're gonna we're gonna jump off the deep end and what does the audio industry look like now chaos Neli, that's I'm gonna call that a wrap I yeah. thank you for your time this was great this was every Super everything fun. I wanted it to be people who want to follow you on Twitter they can find you at reckless uh, without the W <laughs> that sounds like a skateboard shop <laughs> yeah exactly that would be <laughs> reckless yeah yeah. Uh, and, of course, uh, your editor-in-chief of The Verge, which uh, needs no introduction. Uh, anybody who's listening to this who's not heard of The Verge must be fresh out of prison. <laughs> uh, and we welcome you. Yes. Back welcome. to society. Yeah. 
Yeah. My thanks to our sponsors, uh, Casper, where you go to buy a mattress, uh, Harry's, where you go to buy razors and blades, and Eero, E-E-R-O, the top-notch Wi-Fi system that will fill your whole house with Wi-Fi.